I spoke to a dear beloved pastor friend of mine, and he said this to me. He said, who would have ever believed that we would be living through something like this in times like this? We certainly didn't anticipate it, did we? But you know, one of the things that I want to do is, as I'm sharing is not to be trite, not to be unempathetic, um, not to minimalize the sufferings of many. People have gone through tragic losses of loved ones, family members, and it's painful, it's heart-wrenching. And, um, you know, people have lost jobs, lost their homes. Their whole lives have changed in the last couple of years. Had to move out of the houses they were renting, had to move to other towns, have had to make do, become entrepreneurs. And on and on the story goes, and you may have one of those unique stories that I'm talking about. Other than that, maybe you've just had mild doses and serve your family. But there's been an impact. There's been a toll taken emotionally and even spiritually. And I think that the majority of South Africans at the most are now feeling, you know, they've coined a phrase on the news, and that is, COVID fatigue. We've become frustrated, heavy-hearted, maybe even feelings of despair, and of course, great frustration. We just want life to go back to normal. But I want to tell you, we'll get through this, and the world will go back to normal. And I just want to come down to us now. I want to just talk to us. You know, this is a family meeting, Pastor John is speaking <laughs> to ACF family, and that is that your faith is standing right at the center it's in the arena of all of this stuff that is happening around us. It's got center stage in the pandemic. It's got center stage in all of the stuff that is happening. You know that your faith and my faith is central to our Christian walk. It is key. So much so that, uh, that our Christian walk and the body of truth in the Bible is referred to as the faith. Peter says, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the whole body of truth is called the faith because it's held by believers, people who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. And so faith takes center stage. So I want to just talk a little bit about your faith is as you know, in introduction. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, the faith is a gift of God so that no one can boast. For we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's verse 10. But verse 8 and 9 tells us that faith is a gift given by God. Paul tells us in Romans 12 that every man is given a measure of of faith. And so faith then becomes central. It's the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's really incredible. Peter tells us that we live by faith and not by sight. He tells us that the things that we can see and experience with our physical five senses, all of this is temporary. There is another realm, another world, another kingdom to which we relate to by faith that we cannot see with physical eyes. The implication is that we see it, we experience it, we touch it, taste it, handle it by faith. And of course, in his great, great epistle, where Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he talks about the gospel. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, you know, by faith to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And then he continues and he says, the just the righteous shall live by his or her faith. Now, this is quoting from Habakkuk chapter 2. But the just shall live by faith. 
by faith. From first to last, it's all about faith. From beginning to end, that's why Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. But I want to tell you that faith is all the in-between as well. You know, he authored our faith, and he's with us, and he's helping us to pioneer faith, but he then writes up the conclusion of our faith. And Peter deals with this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, for you are receiving the end, the end, the goal, or the result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now, it's a really important thing. You can see why I'm saying, in the arena of life, your faith, my faith, takes center stage. It's right there. And all of the things that I said in the beginning about COVID, it's all revolving around the periphery, but at the center is our faith. And so, Peter talks about this great faith that we have. And you know, we can teach on and on and on and on about faith. But Peter describes it like this. He says, he talks about our faith as being more precious than gold. And the very interesting thing, he said, though gold is refined by fire and it comes out pure, it is also, it perishes, unlike our faith. It's amazing, the verses before, he talks about this great salvation of ours, which is kept by faith and shielded for us in the heavens. In other words, it's guaranteed from source, you know, which is in the spirit realm, the heavenly realm, where Christ Jesus is. So listen to what Peter says. These have come. Now he's talking about, and if Peter was writing today, and Paul was writing today, and James was writing today, and um, you know, Paul writing the book of Hebrews, if they were writing today, and they were writing right now, I am sure they would be using the word pandemic, you know, has come basically in the sense to prove the genuineness of your faith. Now, remember what I said last week, things happen in the world. We live in a fallen world. We live in a sin-sick world. We live in a world that is motivated and energized by wicked people, motivated by greed and desire for control and world domination and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's nothing new. We can see it right from the early days in the Bible, you know, with the rise and fall of empires. That is just the nature of the world that we're living in. And of course, it's energized behind the scenes by a person, personality called Satan or the devil. And so Peter is talking about trials that come, testings that come, temptations that come. And he says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, the proven, proven, everybody say it, proven, so that the proven genuineness of your faith. You know, faith is faith, and it's great, but it needs to be proven. And here Peter says, when it's proven, it's genuine, the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, not going too much into this. In other words, those things, so I was talking about all of these things that are happening. And there's different things. You know, there are seasons of temptation. There is our personal weaknesses and failings. There's fallout in our lives from a lack of wisdom. And <laughs> I've suffered a lot of fallout from a lack of wisdom. And uh, attacks by 
evil people, the weaknesses, sins, and immaturity and lack of wisdom of good people that just make mistakes that impact on us because we are not islands. Relationship struggles, sickness, difficult periods in the world like we're going through now, these have all come so that our precious faith will go through the fire and come out proven genuine. And uh, it has to be tested. You know, everything has got to be tested. The car that you drive was tested. The furniture that you sit on, everything is tested. There's a, a standards that has to be applied, otherwise you buy junk, and what would be the purpose? And so what would be the purpose for us if our faith is not tested? And so the testing of our faith, we have to see right throughout the Bible. Now, last week I gave you many, many scriptures, and again, you know, we can see. So one of the earliest examples I can think of is in Genesis 22, the testing of Abraham when God spoke to him and told him to go and sacrifice his son, Isaac. Now, this was the son of promise, you remember, the son that Abraham believed for, the son whom, when Abraham believed, it was credited to him as righteousness, the son when Abraham, not weakening in his faith, but continuing against hope, believing, this same son that they trusted God for, where because of their faith, God reversed their age. You know, Hagar was an older woman, a more mature woman, should I say, at the time of the promise. But eventually, the king Abimelech looks at her and sees a beautiful woman that he wants for his harem. And so there was age reversal because of their faith. It was this son, the product of their faith, that was now their joy and their laughter. And God says, sacrifice your son, your one and your only son. And you know, Abraham was such a friend of God, knew God, trusted God so implicitly that he was going to go through it. You know the story on Mount Moriah that he was about to plunge the knife into Isaac. And uh, remember, even his son had said, Father, the sacrifice, you know, the wood for the sacrifice, but <laughs> where is the sacrifice? And of course, Abraham made that faith statement, God himself will provide a ram or a lamb. And so, and he did on that very spot, Jesus was crucified. But listen, he was about to go through it and then the angel stopped him. And then Abraham turned around and saw a ram caught in the thicket and he sacrificed that instead. But in his heart, he had gone through it and uh, because he was going to do it. So now listen, listen to what God says. Man, this is like really an amazing verse. Genesis 22 verse 12. This is what God says. He was about to do it. This is what God says. Man, I saw this with fresh eyes yesterday. God says, now I know. You know, you might say, Pastor John, but surely God knew before. Well, in a way, yeah, he does. He does know before. But it was only when Abraham was prepared to do it. Remember in the offering I talked about things come out of the heart. You know, what is in the heart comes out in actions. So if you want to know what's in a person's heart, you look at the actions. And so God says, now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And our actions prove our response to God. And then it's almost like God could say, now I know that you trust me. How we respond in this pandemic proves to God or shows God. Now again, you know, you might say, Prophet John, but surely God already knew. Well, I'm just telling you what God says. God is also looking for the actions. But most of the times, it's not to prove anything to himself or show anything to himself. It's to show us 
what is in our hearts. Because most times we are oblivious of what is in our heart. It's just in times of trial or difficulty or pressure or whatever, that is what is inside comes out. Amazing. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, this was Abraham's mindset, this great Hall of Fame chapter. Abraham reasoned, figured that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So he figured, God promised me the son. Now he's telling me to kill the son. So okay, I'm going to do it. God stops him. But the rationale behind it, the mindset behind it was, God will bring me through and God made a promise to me. And I believe that's a promise that we need to have in all our negative situations. I remember a great Pentecostal preacher preaching once and he was saying, when you're going through hell, he said, just keep doing that, you're going through. Don't stop, don't stay there. And listen, and again, I, without demeaning the sufferings of some people, we just need to press ahead and to go through all of these things. Abraham's response to God was to God's character and God's ability and to the credibility of his word. He can bring something good out of a very negative situation. And so he was prepared to go through it. Church, um, family, that's the attitude that we're supposed to have. And I just really, I'm really praying, really, really praying for you. I pray for all our network pastors and pastors who are friends and not part of our relational network. I really pray that God would just give you the endurance to press through. There's a lot to be said in endurance and perseverance. So it's just interesting how God says, now I know. James, in James chapter one, verses two to four, when James says, consider it pure joy, brethren, when you face trials of different kinds. And the result, he says, is the outcome, because it's an outcome-based test, is that James says that we become perfect, mature, complete, and absolutely lacking nothing. And so really, at the end of the day, any trial, any temptation, the test consists of what do I believe about God? So where is my faith in relationship to who is God and what has he said and what will he do? So seven beliefs we need of trying times. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He said, you know, when we face many and various trials. I read it last week, so I'm not going to read it again. So I just want to give you six, six little things that Peter talks about in those two verses. And he says, the test is only for a little while. You can read the verses because I need to get onto something else. You can read it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter tells us it is only for a little while. Now, <laughs> you know, sometimes a little while is two years. <laughs> We've been going through this thing. But it's for a little while. In other words, it's not forever. And every test is some kind of a trial. You know, it's not a, a Bible knowledge test. You know, God doesn't just drop a piece of paper down and say, okay, well, how well do you know your Bible? But really, tests is about our knowledge of God and the knowledge of his word. And it's a test in a trial. There are various trials, he tells us. The trials are to produce genuine, tested faith. That's precious. Our faith is more precious than gold. And then number six, this faith, this tested faith, that causes us to persevere and endure results in glory to God. At the end, God gets glory. Listen, he doesn't get glory from our failures. He gets glory from our victory. And uh, 
through getting through. Now, maybe I'll touch on it next week. God ensures that we never fail a test. You know, it's incredible when you look at the story of the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings and how God took them around and faced different place, similar situation. Different place, similar situation. Different place, similar situation. Until they started to learn how to trust God. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 to 16, and I'm going to read it. And so we're talking about seven beliefs we need in trying times. Seven beliefs. Number one, God tests every believer many times and, many, and in many different ways. So that's number one. Seven beliefs we need in trying times. We need to understand from his word. God tests every believer many times and in many different ways. Like I said, there's six little points. Test is only for a little while, etc. But listen to what Peter says here. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. There it is. It's clear. It's evident. It's in the Word. And God doesn't just test you with the Word. He doesn't just test you in preaching. He tests you in real-life circumstances, real-life situations that is kind of like tailor-made. And when I talk about tests and trials, you know, some people say God engineers tests. I'm still thinking about that one, and maybe he does. But one thing I do know, because of the world that we live in, tests are going to come. Trials are going to come. Fiery ordeals are going to come. Hard times are going to come. Temptations are going to come. And Peter says, do not be surprised at these ordeals. They have come to test you. They have come to test you. And Peter goes on, he says, as though something strange were happening to you. You know, isn't it amazing how we get so shocked? Hey, we get shocked. Oh my goodness, I'm going through a hard time. Oh wow. You know, like Peter says, your brothers all over the world are going through the same thing. Don't think you are done by. Don't think, you know, you're the only one going through it. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. It's come to test you. But he says, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Now, Christ was righteous. Christ was innocent. Christ was perfect, and he suffered at the hands of wicked people. And Peter is saying, we got to understand that because we're in this world, because of just the mere fact that we are humans in this world, we're going to face it, let alone because we are Christians. So he continues to say this, if you are insulted, oh yeah, so we need to be overjoyed because of the glory that will be revealed. You see, that is a result-driven test. And so he said, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you because of it if you persevere and if you come through. He says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The point that I wanted to bring is don't be surprised. It's come to test you. And so the testing is all around your faith. Second point that I want to bring, only a couple more. God has intimate knowledge of you, your situation, your circumstances, your trials. God has an intimate knowledge of you. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 17 verse 10. He says this, I the Lord search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And so the Lord wants to bless you. The Lord wants to bring out the result of a tested faith that's glory to God, a proven character, precious, genuine faith, and then there's a result, you know, in blessing for you. 
And so the three things that God targets under the fact that God has got intimate knowledge of you, God targets three things during times of testing. And he targets them in order to change them. The first thing is God targets your character to change your character. Wow. We'll touch on that a little bit more next week from Romans chapter five, but there's no time for us to look at it now. So God targets three things. Number one, your character. Number two, your conduct. God wants to change your conduct. Because if pressure comes and you blow it, you know, you lose your cool, you throw all your toys out the cart, you want to give up, you want to pack in this Christianity thing. Faith doesn't work. Prayer doesn't work. Giving doesn't work. Whatever it is, you know, just whatever it is, you know, God wants to change our conduct. So God wants to change our character. God wants to change our conduct. The third thing that God wants to change, and he targets it, is our motive. Man, that one there, that one there is tough, eh? Because very often we are not in contact with ourselves, we're not aware of ourselves, and we don't even know what drives us. Often, a lot of it is often because of our failings, our weaknesses, the stuff that we went through, you know? And we don't even know what drives us to be manipulative or controlling, sullen or angry. We don't know what the motive is behind. And God allows times of testing to come in order to change our motive and to make our motives pure. Third thing, God is with you in all your tests. And you need to understand that. And, you know, God puts stories in the Bible, you know, which are not just stories. They actually happen. And one of them was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, Daniel interpreted the dream of the statue to Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, O king, you are the head of gold. And then there's the torso of silver, next empire. You know, bronze, the next empire. And uh, then iron and clay, next empires. And so Nebuchadnezzar got all puffed up. No, I want to be the whole statue. I want to continue forever. And of course, you know his demise, how he fell and became like a beast of the field. And then later he came to repentance. So the dream interpretation was chapter two, chapter three. Now Nebuchadnezzar builds the statue of gold. And he says, right, everybody bow down and worship it. You know? And uh, God had just said, no, you're just the head of gold. You're not the whole statue. And of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. You know the whole story. And um, their response was, you know, the king made the fire seven times hotter, and uh, even the soldiers, when they went to go and throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they died because of the heat outside of the furnace, and uh, of course, the fourth man appeared in the middle of the flames, and of course, the fourth man was Jesus, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Jesus. He's with you in all of your fiery ordeal. So that was an actual event, but it's put into the Bible to show us that no matter how hot the fire is, how difficult the ordeal is, how intense the temptation, Christ is with you. He's with you. And so those young men said this. He says, if that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Next verse. But if not, even if it doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known, we will not bow down to you and serve your gods, because nor do we worship the gold image which you have set up. And so, but it doesn't detract from the fact that he's with you. The fourth point that I want to bring, just a couple more points, is that at all times during your trial, at all times during your test, at all times during your ordeal, at all times, God is sovereign and he is in control. Have you ever wondered 
why the book of Job is in the Bible. Oh, my word. If you, <laughs> the book of Job can be a depressing book. But, you know, read the beginning and then you can read, you can skip out all the, all the in-between. You know, he's, you know, bad advice friends. And then read at the end how God restored twice as much back to Job and how he even prayed for those friends of his that gave him bad advice. But, you know, I think that Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And um, it really is amazing that what Job went through is recorded in the Word for us. His story is recorded so that we can have help living through difficulties, through pandemics, while trusting God. It's amazing. It's amazing. In um, Job chapter 1, verse 1, listen to the description of Job. In the land of Uz, or Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright, who feared God and shunned evil. That's incredible. But the tragic stories that unfold in that first and early chapters about how he lost all his possessions, he lost his children, he lost everything. And um, the Bible tells us that it was the Sabaeans in verse 15, and then the Chaldeans came, verse 17, and um, he suffered great personal loss. And so there were wicked people, evil people, the Sabaeans, the Chaldeans. Driven by whatever, you know, they were driven by. And uh, here was a righteous man who was an innocent victim. And he was a man who loved God. You know, bad things happen to good people. But good people respond differently to bad people. And so behind all of this tragedy, we see God, and then we see another entity called the devil. And he comes on the scene. And I want to just tell you, you know, the devil is real. Satan is real. He's not a figment of imagination. And things that happen motivated by wicked people and, and by the world we live in, etc., 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 God is working behind the scenes with us. He never loses control. Even if the enemy comes to take advantage of the situation, to turn it into something by which we would fail, accuse God, deny God, or whatever, to take our lives, God says, I will preserve your life, and God maintains control to bring us out, to bring our faith to prove genuine. And so it's the superior worth of Job's faith, but even the superior worth of the God that he served is amazing. Look at Job's response when all of this calamity happened in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1. He says, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. He couldn't understand it. He couldn't comprehend it. He couldn't process it. But the thing that he did was he immediately began to worship God. And he said these famous words, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return thee. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now understand that God didn't kill his family. These things happened. But what Job saw in saying this was that God has got ultimate control and he put his faith in God for his restoration. I like what one person said, one Bible teacher said, Satan may be a lion, but he's a lion on a leash. And so even if he tries to take advantage of the situation, He's on a short leash. The interesting thing is in the prayer for the disciples that Jesus gave referred to as the Lord's Prayer, he says, and lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. And God doesn't lead anyone into temptation, but the prayer basically is, God, don't allow me to go through anything that I can't handle, basically. Point number five, so we've just dealt with, he maintains control and sovereignty at all times, and that's proved by the story of Job. God's grace is sufficient for you in trying and testing times. Isn't it amazing? I love I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, no temptation, we can say no trial, no difficulty, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now, one of the big things, when we're going through times like what we're going through, and especially you know, when there's isolation, when there's, where you have to become insular, where you cut off from everybody else. You know, especially during the hard lockdown, you couldn't even go and visit family members. So you were stuck in your house. And especially if you were living on your own, you could feel, I'm all alone in this. And it's amazing to me. I know when I've been through difficult and trying times, you kind of feel you're alone. And then from there, feelings of aloneness turn and they become feelings of, this is unique Nobody else in the whole world is, is going through this. This is a, an attack of the enemy on me, and I, I don't know what God is up to, but oh my word, nobody's ever been through what I've been through. But Paul tells us what we go through is common to man. And I like what one preacher once said, the enemy is not allowed to bring out of his arsenal something that has never been used on any person ever. He's confined. The world is confined in what it can throw at us. And that's some of the control, the sovereignty that God maintains. Listen to what he says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. So here's the faithfulness of God. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So church, it takes away a lot of excuses. It takes away a lot of blame shifting. It takes away, if I say the poor devil, there's nothing poor about him. But the poor devil gets blamed for a lot of things that he's got nothing to do with. But Paul says here, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. I like what one translation says. He will provide a way out so that you may be able to stand up underneath it. And to me, there's two pictures there. Here in the church, right on my right-hand side, there's an exit there. On my left-hand side, there's an emergency exit there. And so if anything tragic were to happen in this building, there are emergency exits. There is a way out. And what Paul is telling us is in the midst of fiery trials, there's always a way out. And we just need to look for it. God, how do I get through this? How do I get out of this? And when I say get out, you might not be able to escape the thing, but there's a way out for you to endure it, or you will have the strength to be able to stand up and to shoulder it and to march on and to endure it. God will not allow you to be tried beyond your ability to bear it. And so the grace of God comes into play. Second Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Three times Paul says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh because of my exceeding revelations, great revelations, and he got a thorn in the flesh. People speculate about it. I'm convinced it's not sickness. I'm convinced it was the legalistic Jews, part of that group, you know, the curse of the law. And so he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, please, 
take this thing away from me. You know, he did pray, God deliver me from wicked people. And they hounded him right till the end. Even Peter and Paul, eventually Peter turned away from preaching in the synagogues. And he said, seeing you don't count yourself worthy of the gospel, I'm now turning to the Gentiles. And they shook the dust of their feet and started to preach to the Gentiles. But Paul said, take it away from me, take it away from me. But listen to what God says. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says this, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. What powerful, powerful verses. And so the genuineness of faith that's tested and tried comes out like pure gold, causes the Spirit of God, the power of Christ to rest on us in our weakness. You know, when we come to the end of ourselves, that's where we find the beginning of God. And so trials and tests, trials and tests come to prove us. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you to go through it. There's the odd occasion where God takes his people out. The majority of times he takes them through. There's times when we wait on him. And those that wait on the Lord run and not grow weary. They walk and not faint. There are times when he gives you wings like an eagle, where you come to the point of breakthrough. He gives you the wings of an eagle to go over the top. But most times we go through. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil because God, you are with me. And that's why he got the name Emmanuel, because he's with us. Number six, and I've only got one. One of the things that I've discovered, and I'm going to touch it on next week, God has got full confidence in you, and he really does expect you to pass the test. God wants us to believe more and more in him, and so he expects us to pass the test. And you know, in his grace, if we don't, and he sees that we're failing, the test lifts, and he takes us around again, and he allows us to move on with life. And then different name, different face, but same person different place, but same situation. We'll face it again. And he's taught us more, and uh, we've learned more, and this time we're able to go through, and then we pass the test. And all the while, God is changing our character, our conduct, and our motive, and making us more Christ-like. And the last point, God has your ultimate good as his purpose. Remember, we heard it in James. James said it like this, that you may be perfect, or complete, mature, lacking nothing. And there are certain things that we don't have yet because we haven't matured through to a place where we can have them and hence the need for testing and for trials. Maybe you haven't got those millions yet because you couldn't contain it, couldn't handle it, whatever. I don't know. You know, maybe you haven't got the power in ministry that you have so desired and prayed and fasted for because you couldn't handle it. But when you complete and mature, and then will lack nothing. And so God has your ultimate good as his purpose. And the test is designed for you and you only. It's amazing to me that whenever we go through trials, it's like purpose built for me. And somebody else standing right next to me in church may not be going through anything. And then somebody else behind me maybe is going through something, but it's very different to mine. But the end result is God knows me. God is for me. God is with me. And my race is personal. It's personal to me. It's personal to God. And God wants me to get the victor's crown. You can't get a crown without overcoming anything, you know. And so 
God's grace is sufficient for us. So listen to this. God has your ultimate good as his purpose. This test is designed for you and only for you. Facing difficulties, this is John Maxwell, facing difficulties is inevitable. Learning from them is optional. If there was a better way, God would use it. If there was a better way. If there was another way, God would use it. God certainly doesn't use easier ways. So God would have taken it. So nothing comes to you that God doesn't know about and that is not under his ultimate control. There's no exception. So listen to what Joseph said. Remember Joseph, this is amazing. The Bible tells us in the Psalms that the word of the Lord tested Joseph while he was in shackles of iron. The word of the Lord. Because remember when he was a young man, he had those dreams of the sun and moon and stars bowing down to him. That was his mother and father and his brothers. And then later he saw the sheaves, you know, the 11 sheaves bowing down to him in a field. And that was his 11 other brothers. And, you know, they immediately all knew the interpretation of the dream and said, what are we going to bow down to you and worship you? What? And of course, because his father favored him, they became envious and jealous. And you know the plot to kill him. I think it was Reuben that spoke up for him. So they sold him into slavery, ended up in Potiphar's household, ended up in prison, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Then uh, in prison, the butler and the baker, he interprets their dreams. One's beheaded, the other one's reinstated. They forget all about him. Now, here's a man who had a word from God. Here's a man who had a destiny. Here's a man who had a purpose. Here's a man who was righteous. But all this stuff happened to him because maybe he was a little bit unwise in sharing his dream with people who were not dreamers. But really, an innocent man where all this evil happened. But now listen to Joseph's understanding when he eventually comes and meets his brothers because now it's a time of drought and famine where they are. Egypt is in abundance. He is too I see in the land of Egypt. Joseph said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Because they were afraid he was going to kill them. And he was saying, I'm not in the place of God. He said this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so listen, yeah, the enemy can can intend evil. God doesn't intend evil. God intends our good. But people may intend our harm. But listen, if we put our trust in God, we come out on the other end and listen, and uh, God turns it so that it's intended for good. And then others, others are blessed. Wow, isn't that amazing? You always wonder why God couldn't have taken Joseph somehow supernaturally straight from being a child at home straight through an ordinary life, living there with his brothers, helping shepherd the flocks, growing up, and uh, then somehow getting him to Egypt, and somehow then he would become second in charge, prime minister of Egypt. But he went through trying times. You know, so that was because then he would be complete and mature and lacking nothing. And so he was fitted for the job through trying times. He was trained by God. Now, I'm going to just read some verses in closing. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 to 20. All these verses are in the Bible, and you can go and read them. You can try and get around it. You can try and convolute it. There's just too many verses. I gave you a lot of scripture last week, giving you a lot of scripture this week, giving you a lot of scripture next week. You can try and say it however you want to say it, <laughs> and you cannot get away from the fact that the Bible talks about it. The apostles went through difficulties and trials, but it resulted in proven character, proven 
character. They weren't little cotton bud, cotton wool Christians. They were powerful men and women for God who knew how to stand for God with tried, proven character and faith. And listen to this. Deuteronomy 8 verses 1 to 20. Here it's in the Bible. And you, so you might say it's Old Testament. Listen, the Old Testament is still the Bible. <laughs> Be careful to follow every command I'm giving to you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land promised on oath to your ancestors. Now I've got to read that again. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 1 to 20. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving to you today. Why does God want us to listen to, to obey his word? Let's change command for word. Sounds more New Testament, all right? So be careful to follow my word, the word that I've given you, so that you may live, you may increase, you may enter, and you may possess the things of God, the promises. So listen, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Well, man, we've just read this. Peter says this. Does not Peter say this? You know, Jeremiah says it, and Job says it. So God tests us to see what is in our heart, whether or not we would keep his commands. You know, what's in our hearts is proven by our actions. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you. That man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Well, learn the lesson. Follow the guidelines. And so learn the lesson. The lesson of the word is you don't live on bread alone. So things can be touched and challenged and shaken and et cetera, et cetera. But learn to live on the word of the Lord. Jesus quoted in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 when he was in temptation, when he was in a trial in the wilderness facing the devil. And he said, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that is proceeding out of the mouth of God. We need to go back to the word of God in the midst of the trying of our faith. We need to go back to the word. Respond like the word says. Confess the word. Speak the word. Claim the word. He says, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Now from here, we could go, we'll touch it on next week, Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, we can go to Hebrews chapter 12. That God disciplines us because he loves us. That word disciplines is train and teach. But he trains and teaches us through the trials. And that's why Paul says endure hardship as discipline, as your training. Because God loves you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God. Walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land with brook streams and deep springs gushing out of the valleys and hills. A land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. Doesn't that sound like what James said? That you'll be complete, mature, lacking nothing? I'm a word. You know, scripture, confirming scripture. In the volume of the book, it's there. You can't get away from it. I don't care how much grace you preach. You can't get away from it. I'm a grace preacher. But you can't get away from it. Except you try and reinterpret the Bible. For the Lord is bringing you into a land that lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God who has given you this good land. But then be careful, be careful. And this is where 
a lot of the tested character comes into play. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you to this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Listen. Church, I am friends with wealthy people who have endured extreme hardship, extreme difficulties, lost businesses, and built wealth. And you know, the end result is if somewhere they had stopped in the middle, they might have been filled with pride and said, Look, look what I've accomplished with my own hands. But because they've come through and their faith has been tested and it's pure and genuine, they now say with their own mouths, All this, all this, I know. Is only God. God blessed me. God blessed me. And you know, very often when we come to trying times and difficulties, um, you speak to a lot of the revivalists, the people that moved in power and, and shook and rocked this world. I mean, they went through difficult times and they knew, they understood. You know, I've been in the ministry going nearly 40 years and, and we're seeing miracles and uh, we're planting another two churches in the next two years and seeing all the network growing, 20 churches in the network. And I still have people phoning me, business people, flying in to come and see me and just say, we just want to sit with you. We want some of your wisdom. We want you to speak into our lives. We need a father in the Lord. We need someone who's walked the walk and talked the talk and been through it all. Listen, church, why? Why? All I can say is because I've been tested. I've been tried. And something about my faith has been refined. I'm not there yet, you know. But the thing that I understand now more than ever, when I see fruit in the ministry, when I see people get healed, when I hear them responding to the word and being touched by God, yeah, there's not that much pride in me. Not that much. <laughs> because I know it's God. I know it's Him. I know it's His Spirit. I know, I know this fruit is from Him. So I don't take any credit for it. Not at all. But it comes, and this is one of the results that Moses was speaking to the people of Israel. When you're blessed, don't forget God. And that's something that only comes when you've been humbled and when you've been tested. He says, He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions, he brought water out of a hard rock. You know, maybe you feel like that with what you're going through. Maybe you feel like that in the COVID time. But listen, he will navigate your way through serpents and scorpions. He will bring out water out of a rock, the driest, hardest, worst place. Listen, church, I've been there. I have been in that situation. I've been there. You may say to yourself, my power and strength of my hands have produced as well for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed like the nations around you. But that's not your case. That's not your case. Paul said it. The end of Hebrews chapter 10. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who press in and believe. Now faith is the substance of things hopeful. Saints, I trust that 
this has blessed you. Trust that maybe it makes some sense of what you're going through. Maybe it'll just help you to just change your mindset and respond differently. Respond differently. Church, one of the things I was sharing with a pastor that I phoned and I said, one of the things that I've realized in this time of pandemic and especially with this Delta version and they say that there's a a Lambda version on the way but we're praying against that is to be present for other people and uh, through live stream and through phone calls and whatsapps you know I want to be present for you and be present with you but hey you know if I can't get you I want you to know God is present with you God is walking this route He knows it He's got complete control over the situation His grace is sufficient for you there's no thorny language God. He speaks grace. And what he says is, my grace is sufficient for you. You can get through this. You can do this. I've got confidence in you. I've got confidence in my son inside of you. My son, my daughter, you're going to make it. You're going to come through. You're going to come out stronger. You're going to come out refined. And then some of those things that you were lacking will be added to you. You know that you may live, may enter, may possess all that God has for you. What a faithful God, never let you down, never leave you, never forsake you, even to the very end of the age. Come on, church, God is with us. We can do this thing. We're going to go through. We're going to come out. There's going to be great revival on the other side of this. There's going to be signs, wonders, and miracles. You're going to be complete, mature, lacking nothing. So I just want to speak God's grace for you. God's grace that is sufficient. God's grace that enables God's grace that empowers you God's grace that is also his compassion for you his identification with you God's grace that is full of love and tenderness God's grace that will take you through I speak the mercy of God the great favor of God and the blessing of God that maketh rich and leaves no regret that you will be complete mature lacking nothing that you will live You will enter. You will possess all of the promises of God. Come on, church. We're going to see it. We're going to do it. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of our God and His Christ. The church is rising up, and so shall you in Jesus' name.